So we are wrapping up this series, uh, Every Man's Battle, where we have been looking at, um, at King David and Bathsheba, and we've been talking really to the guys for this entire month about the subject of sex, which is a huge issue for every guy, every man. This is a battle that we have to deal with, myself included. And just to kind of give you a recap, since we're tying the bow on the series uh, today, so the first two weeks, we, what we did was we looked at David, and we looked at the foolish decisions that he made, and tried to learn, so how can we avoid making some of those mistakes? And if you remember how this whole thing started with David and Bathsheba, the whole thing started where David decided not to go to war. He took himself out of the game. He was supposed to be doing something, and he decided to do something else, and he got bored, and that's when, that's when everything got unraveled. And we looked at how David had no regard for God's rules. Um, and we looked at how David was consumed with what he didn't have. The palace full of beautiful women, he was consumed with the one woman that he didn't have. And then last week, um, John talked about how uh, David basically came to a point when he was confronted by Nathan where he said, you know what, God, I've blown it. I have sinned. And uh, if you remember, we're going to recap and look at a few verses. Check them out on your outline. But then, uh, after you know, he cries out to God, and he's like, oh, God, I blew it. Um, then God says, look, the baby that you have is, is going to die. And so, and so the baby that he and Bathsheba had together gets sick, and he runs to God, and this is what happens. It says in 2 Samuel 12, 16, it says, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. So he's basically just face down on the floor crying out to God. It says, The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. I mean, David was so despondent. David was just totally losing it. It says, For they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. It says, David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He's dead. So, as we talked about last week, so David just reaches this moment where he realizes he's just got to come before God and just, and just run to God. And that's what we talked about last week in the message. And, and I think, for those of you who heard it, Doug Swigger, who came and shared some of his story, said something so powerful guys. He said, you know, we as men just have to admit that something in our life is broken. There's times we just got to admit we've blown it or we're majorly struggling with something in our lives. We just got to lay that down before God. And that's really the first step to being able to address whatever it is that our struggle is. Well, let's see how this story uh, ends, at least this section of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's see what David did next. So it says, so you know, David's been crying out to God. He finds out that his child is dead. And it says, Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. So, What's going on here with the servants, in case you're wondering, they're, they're totally confused here. Okay? The deal is that at that time for King David, the typical mourning period that was to be observed was seven days of mourning, like after the child had died. Well, it says as soon as the child dies, he gets up 
And he moves on. There's no mourning period at all. And so the servants are just like, what in the world is going on here? You know, like, this is crazy. What are you doing? Well, um, look what David responds to them. He, he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. He's referencing that he's going to see the child one day in heaven, but the child's not going to come back. So what David is basically saying to his servants here, he's like, look, I've already had my time to mourn. That's what I've been doing the last seven days when I've been laying and pleading with God and God said that my child was going to die. I've basically been crying. I've had my mourning time. Okay, I've already done that. And basically what David is declaring here is he's like, I've had enough of this. I've been broken before God. It's time to get up and move on. And if you want to fill in those blanks, we got two things for you guys today. The first one is get up. Get up. See, what happens often is when we actually, as men, and we don't like to have that point where we actually admit that there's something wrong, that we can't handle something. It's very hard for us. When we get to a place where we're actually willing to admit that and confess that, I know for me, man, it's like you have those moments. It, it, it can be, it can wreck you. You know what I'm saying? Where you actually have to admit that. Um, and so you, you do that, but then the fundamental thing that you have to do after you cry out before God is you've got to get back up and you've got to move on. You know, uh, many of you guys know that I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, I, I have been a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan for almost 30 years. It's been a tremendous source of misery in my life. Um, terrible frustration. The worst franchise of the 1990s, if you'll believe it. So, And I've been a loyal, diehard fan. Uh, one of the problems with the, with the Bengals is actually, historically, they've had terrible defense. I mean, they just couldn't cover anybody, team scoring points up and down the field on them. And... Um, you know, it's not that their defensive backs didn't have skills, but um, one of the, the most valuable things, for those of you who play football, you know this, for, for defensive backs, one of the things that you've got to have is a lack of a short-term memory. You know, you, you, if you get burned on a play, okay, and, and, a, and a receiver just goes down the field and scores on you, you have got to be able to put that play out of your mind, okay? If you, if you sit there and you dwell on that, Okay, what happens is, in football, the whole rest of the game, like your confidence is shaken, you're second-guessing what you're doing, and you are just toast. I mean, you are, you're just done. You're, not, you're, you're totally ineffective. The, the great defensive backs are the ones who are able to be like, okay, that play's over, I blew it, but I am getting back up, and I'm moving on, I, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm focusing ahead. Okay? Here's the deal, guys. Well, the moment that we say, oh God, I've screwed up, I've messed up, I have this struggle, I have this issue, the moment that we do that, the moment that we ask for God's forgiveness, He's forgiven us. It's done. We're totally and utterly forgiven. God has moved on. The question is, have you? Have I? Have we moved on? Because God already has. Romans 8, 1 and 2 is a great reminder, just to kind of encapsulate it in a verse. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there is no guilt. There is no condemnation. We've got to get up, and we've got to move on. One of the things that happens, guys, when we, when we struggle with a habit or a temptation or an issue, especially when we're talking about sexual temptation, lust, that sort of thing, 
uh, one of the most counterproductive things that we can do is to dwell on our struggle, to, to just focus on it, because we actually give it power. When we do that, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you sit there, uh, I don't know if, if you guys have like a vice or a big struggle in your life, but like, for me, I just have this crazy sweet tooth, okay? John, it's one of the things John and I share together. We, we just, it's crazy. And so, um, you know, if, if my wife has made some brownies or something and they're, and they're sitting in the kitchen and I'm home studying or doing whatever, every time I walk through the kitchen, I have to pay respect to the brownies. You know, I have to, I have to just take a little, little taste. And I can eat the whole thing. I mean, I can eat the whole pan. And so, um, you know, it doesn't do me any good, though, if I sit there and go, I'm not going to eat the brownies. I'm not going to eat the brownies. You know, the more that you say that you're not going to do it, the more I'm, what am I doing? I'm focusing on it, right? I mean, I'm just sitting there and I'm just obsessing about what I'm not going to do. And so what do I end up doing? I eat the brownies. I, I can't help myself. So th- that's the one thing that we cannot do. You know, the Bible talks about in Philippians 4, how whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, we're supposed to fix our minds on those things. So if you've got an issue or a sin or a struggle, you're dealing with that thing, you, you, you can't just constantly dwell on that thing and say, I'm not going to, I'm not, 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 not. Because you're just giving power to it. That, that's totally counterproductive. But having said that, one of the things that's so important, guys, is that we set ourselves up for success. So yeah, we get up and we move on, but we can't entirely forget, like, oh, I just don't have that problem. I'm just going to totally fall into that hole again. So um, one of the things that we have to do is we have to find some accountability. Um, you know, and, and I want to I tell you guys, because I, I, I stumbled across a really, really cool website. It's uh, from a site called triplexchurch.com. They do some tremendous work with, uh, with helping guys, particularly guys, um, overcome like porn addiction and, and just dealing with sexual temptation. And um, they have this software. It's free. It's available for download. I gave you the, um, the, the link there at the bottom of your outline. But it's called x3watch.com. And basically, and this is so simple, it's brilliant. It's, it's super cool. So what you do is you download it onto your computer. And then you, you put in a person's email address who is the person that is like your accountability person who's agreed to kind of hold you accountable to this thing. And um, whenever you hit an inappropriate website that has questionable content, it will just send a little email out with the time and the website just right to your accountability person. It's old, I mean, it's boom, right there. I mean, that's you talk about some good accountability. Um, it's right there for you. So um, we can't act like, you know, we don't have this struggle, that it's not an issue, that it's not a battle for us. We have to set ourselves up for success. But the fundamental thing we have to remember is not to dwell on it. we got to get up and we got to move on. And that's what David did. Let's keep going. Verse 24, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Meanwhile, Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal citadel. If you remember, Joab was the general that, uh, that uh, David sent off to war in the very beginning, how this whole thing got started. So Joab then sent messengers to David, saying, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city, and it will be named after me. So David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. You know, what is so striking to me about this is that all of David's problems started, do you remember? This whole thing began when David took himself out of the game. 
when he was supposed to be going into battle and he didn't, right? And then he was just home and he was bored. He got bored and he got stupid. He made a really, really stupid decision that snowballed. But here, what's so cool is that David gets himself back in the game. If you want to fill that in, that's the last, that's the last blank here. This is particularly important for you guys. Get back in the game. And there's two ways that David gets back in the game here. The first one is he goes and he comforts his wife Bathsheba, who, if you remember, she's just lost a child. Okay, she's gone through terrible trauma. She's lost her husband. She's been remarried to David, and she's lost this child. And he goes and he and he serves his wife. Husbands, I want to tell you guys something. Your number one job as a husband, your number one job, is to love and serve your wife. If you're sitting right next to your wife, you say, "Tell her, baby, I already knew that. I'm good." Um, but in Ephesians five twenty five, it says, "Husbands, love your wives." just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, and that word love, as we've talked about um, previously, but that word love is the word agape, which is the same kind of love that God has for us. It's an unconditional love. It's a selfless love. It's a love that doesn't ask for anything in return. It's a sacrificial love. And that's the way that we are supposed to love our wives, husbands. So here's the deal. Okay, There is temptation everywhere. Okay, everywhere you look. I mean, you can't even watch a basketball game on TV without, like, you know, as soon as the timeout happens, all of a sudden, like, the videographer is, like, down trying to, like, shoot, shoot a shot up the cheerleader's dress. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. I mean, every, it's just, it's everywhere. It's in your face. It's one click away on your computer. You know, it's, it's all around us. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And what I want to say to you, husbands, is... When you have those moments where you come across temptation and you're frustrated and you have this kind of, this buildup of like sexual frustration or energy or whatever that thing is, what I want to encourage you to do is take that and, and, and channel it towards your wife. To realize that your godly responsibility is to love and honor and serve your wife and to pursue her and to court her and to take all whatever that is that, you know, you're all amped up, right? You're all fired up, whatever got you going. Okay, and take that and use it to be creative and to find a way to build in and love on your wife. And wives, I just want to say to you, um, if you could help a brother out in this category, um, if you could just do your best to uh, to encourage your husband. So, you know, especially for the guys who've been married for a while, you know, I mean, they're still still got their moves, you know, they're still on their game. But, um, you know, if you could just maybe when he comes and he awkwardly pursues you in some way, he's trying to court you like he did back in the day, if you could just, you know, rather than it'd be real easy to maybe make a little joke or remark and kind of, you know, have some levity in the situation, but just to kind of come around him and just just encourage him, um, that, would be, that would be huge for him. So that's the deal. The first way that David got back in the game is he served his wife. The second way is that he went back to battle. He went back to battle. You have to remember that King David, his whole life, he has been wired to do one thing, and that's to go to war. I mean, as a, as a young kid, right, with a slingshot and some stones, I mean, he slays the mighty Goliath. David is a brilliant military commander. This is just in his DNA. He is hardwired. This is what he was made to do, to go out and to defend the nation. 
And so here what we see in this passage is David goes back to work. He goes back to work. Men, here's the reality for us. God has created us to work. He has. One of the things that is so striking to me is in the, um, the creation story in Genesis chapter 2. What I find fascinating is, you know, here are, here's Adam in the Garden of Eden, okay? And it's paradise. I mean, no sin has entered the world, right? Everything is perfect. God says everything is good, okay? And, and so here's, here's man in paradise. And look what it says, okay? In paradise, in perfection. Everything's perfect. It says, Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and take care of it. Isn't that odd? I mean, when, I don't know what you think about when you think about paradise, but for me, it's kind of like I'm at the beach in a hammock with a drink in my hand kind of a deal. You know, that's kind of, for me, it's, it, that's paradise. You know, it doesn't involve, you know, working really hard at something. And yet what we see in this is that God says, no, actually, the perfect plan involves man working. And so what I want to encourage you, men, to do is, you know, I don't know where you are in your job situation, you know, how you view your job, but realize that your job, whether it's really difficult, whether, you know, you're like, man, I'm just dying to get out of this job or whatever, but realize that your job is a gift from God. Um, you know, and, and what I want you to really try and do is, um, is just to keep that in perspective, you know, to push into that job and realize that, not only does our job give us purpose and, and give us a sense of being able to make a difference in some way in the world, but it also keeps us out of a lot of trouble. Man, I mean, that's just, that's just reality, you know? Um, and if you're here and you don't, you know, you don't currently have a job, you're looking for work, you're, that's maybe very frustrating for you, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a paid job, but you are wired to work. So find a way to roll up your sleeves and, and get your hands dirty doing something proactive, you know, find a way to get involved and volunteer and do something where you can get to work. This is how we get back in the game. You know, the, the, the point in all this that I, I don't want you to miss is that, you know, if this is an area where we struggle, you know, we just can't you know, be consumed with focusing on, you know, oh, I just have to avoid this thing and, you know, man, it's so hard and, and how, do I, how do I resist it? We've got to turn and just... and. and constructively move in a different direction. We've got to occupy ourselves with things that are good and worthwhile. We've got to run in the direction that God wants us to run. So, when we've blown it, when we've admitted it, we've got to get up and we've got to move on, and we've got to get ourselves back in the game. Thanks.